great. I think I've got everything in the right place. Um, oh, wait. Yes, now. I really hope I have. Uh, it's really good to see you. Um, we give you another really warm welcome here today. So we're going to look at this story of uh, the man in Acts chapter 3 getting healed by the disciples. So let's, um, let's pray and then we'll read the passage again and then we'll get into it. So Father, we thank you for the, the great joy it is to meet together. Father, we thank you for the truth uh, of the gospel of Jesus. Father, I thank you for um, the book of Acts as well. Father, I thank you that it's just an amazing book that teaches all about what you were doing um, in the early church and what the early church was doing and the amazing things that you did through them and the people that you saved uh, by the precious blood of Jesus. And Father, I thank you that we're just an extension of that first church, that we are linked to them because we're linked to Jesus and they were linked to Jesus. And Father, I thank you that as we read Acts, it can really encourage us um, to press on as a church to see great things happen because Jesus is still king. He's still on his throne and he still is in charge of this world. And Father, I pray that today as we look through this passage, you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from you, that you would help us to, to take into our hearts the words you would have us hear. And Father, I pray that you would help us to really see Jesus and help us to want to become like him. Amen. Okay, so this is, I think it's a great story. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Let's just uh, read through it again. Sam read it to us. Let's just go through it again so we've all got it fresh in our minds. So one day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. It's a great story. We're going to look at that uh, account today. Part of it makes me feel... Um, I've, I've made a really stupid error recently, which was... Um, some people have been saying, yeah, Ian is trying to push for a group to run a marathon with him. And we were chatting about this. And I was really happy that Jai didn't seem very keen. Um, he seems quite unkeen to that interview. And I made the really stupid error of saying, well, you know, Jai wants to do it. If Jai does it, I'll do it. Um, because Jai really didn't sound very keen. And then Jai has decided he will. Um, so as kind of part of the thing, people have been running a, a 5K on a Saturday morning. And I really feel like the man crippled from birth today. After running 5K yesterday, I <laughs> got out of bed and nearly fell over. Um, every time I go up and downstairs, it really hurts. So um, I feel like I'm really empathised with this chap's situation. So, uh, you know, that's probably slightly irreverent. Anyway, never mind, that's how I felt. And uh, we finished, I crossed, crossed the finish line, stopped, and my breakfast carried on. So that's just to give you a bit of context of my yesterday morning. Um, nothing to do with the passage whatsoever. But um, it's a great passage. 
So, last week we looked at the church and what the church is. We looked at um, that it's Jesus' family. We looked at how it's to function kind of throughout the ages until Jesus comes back. And we also looked at the idea that the kingdom of God is a topsy-turvy kingdom where the people who we might think would be the elite, you know, maybe the wealthy and powerful, won't be. Jesus teaches that the meek will inherit the earth. And this week I want to spend a bit of time uh, thinking about God's kingdom, not so much being a topsy-turvy place, but being an outside-in place. Okay? So I've called it outside-in. So that's what we're going to think about. So last week we briefly thought about this idea of topsy-turviness. This week it's outside-in. Hopefully it will make some sense as we get there. And I want to think that it's a place where people on the outside can be brought right into the middle. But not right into the middle of the temple. Not right into the middle of the church building, even though that is possible. Um, Not even right into the middle of the community of believers, even though that's possible. But right into the middle of God in the sense we get to join in as Christian human beings in the Trinity by what Jesus has achieved. God takes us from the outside right to the inside to take part in who he is. So that's where we're going to go this afternoon. Hopefully that will make sense. Hopefully we'll be able to stay with it. And we're going to kind of do that as we go through the story of the man who's healed in verses 1 to 10. And this is the first healing that we get in the book of Acts. Um, So in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John in the Gospels, Jesus is walking around on the earth and all the time he's healing different people, he's casting out demons, he's raising the dead, all these sorts of things. Very now and then in the Gospels, we see the disciples doing it as well. However, in Acts, Jesus isn't there on the earth with them. When the disciples were doing it, when they were sent out by Jesus to to heal people or cast out demons or things like that, Jesus was essentially just around the corner. You know, if there was a problem, they could have gone and found, gone to find him, and he could have helped them. Um, In fact, at one point when they're trying to cast a demon out of somebody, they can't do it. They find Jesus, and he tells them how to do it. Um, But here in Acts, Jesus is not there. And this is the first healing that we see in Acts. It's the first healing that we have recorded after Jesus died, rose, ascended into heaven, and poured out his spirit on his disciples. There's some great stuff in this passage that kind of when I read through it, it, it kind of makes me want to smile. Um, however, let me start by saying that sickness, pain, and death are not part of God's good plan. So if you're a person who struggles with like recurring disease or illness, or mental health issues, or physical ailments. These, you know, they're not God being cruel to you. They're not part of God's plan. They're not God judging you for something that you've done. Um, sometimes sickness and pain and problems can be a result of sin. Because if you go out and get drunk and drive your car home straight into a ditch and you break your legs, then that is your own sinful fault. But other things aren't because you've sinned this specific sin. God is judging you in this specific way. In Genesis, we read that as God created the world, at the end of it, when he spoke over his finished work, he says, 
It is very good. And we know that in the beginning there was no sin, there was no pain, there was no sickness, and there was no death. There was none of that. It was just ace. Everything was good. And the grass wasn't greener on the other side because it was all equally green in Eden. It was really nice. Um, I haven't got any verses to actually back that up, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. However, that's not the case now. We look around, and even in the room today, there are different people who work in kind of different healthcare professions. Um, and actually, those people who are working in healthcare will get new jobs in the new creation because fortunately, you know, there won't be any sickness, pain, or death. So if you're working in healthcare, that's really good now for sure, giving people a glimpse of what the new creation is like. But when you get there, you'll have to retrain, uh, which will probably annoy me, actually, because Hannah's already done two degrees and it'll be another one. Um, but yeah, but that's fine, because so, I'll be all eternity, so she can do another two. Um, but while we're on this side of the world, we play a part in, in helping people overcome the problems that sin has caused and the experiences um, that we have because of it. So I want to kind of think, what's going on in the story? So Peter and John are going to the temple. Now, in the early part of Acts, uh, Acts is kind of split into two. Um, the first half focuses on Peter. The second half focuses on Paul. Peter pops in a little bit as well, but it's mainly kind of Peter in the first half, Paul in the second. So Peter and John, these guys are a bit like Batman and Robin of the early church. Um, they're kind of they're a bit of a big deal. They're quite big names in the early church. Um, okay, so Peter very, very important. He's Batman. Okay. And John's Robin. Um, however, unlike Bruce Wayne, they're very poor. Because they, they look to the beggar and say, look, silver and gold, I do not have. Bruce Wayne has silver and gold. So, so they're not exactly like Batman or Robin. Okay. So at three in the afternoon, they're heading into the temple for evening prayers. I'm not quite sure how three in the afternoon equates to evening prayers. Some commentary I read said it was evening prayers, so maybe they spent a long time in a queue or doing something before evening prayers. Um, and they see this guy who's been carried on a mat and placed outside um, the, the beautiful gates. Now Luke, who writes the book of Acts and who writes the Gospel of Luke, is a doctor. So he kind of knows what he's doing when he's describing illnesses. This is, he gives a very brief description of this guy. Um, in other places, he gets into a bit more detail with problems that we see. So this guy, we know has been lame from birth. He's brought to the beautiful gate of the temple, kind of by the grace of his family and his friends. They carry him on a mat and they, they plunk him down. And he would sit there and he would beg for whatever he could get. You know, he would try and make some money while he was there because he couldn't, couldn't do anything else. And some of the temple goers maybe thought they could actually get a bit of favor and credit with God by giving to this, this lame man before they went into the temple. And my guess is, I'm not 100% sure on this, but it's probably a fairly lucrative spot. If people think they might earn favor with God by giving him some silver or gold, maybe it was a good place for him to sit. However, this chap who sat on the mat, what are his kind of prospects? What's his situation in life? What does his present and his future look like? Fortunately, Luke tells us that he's been lame from birth. So growing up, he was the kid who always kind of stayed indoors. And he watched the other kids playing from the window. He ne like, never climbed a tree. He never played football. Um, you know, he never ran in any school sports day races. You know, he never took himself to the toilet. He'd never worked. 
He's never had chances to do all the things that we kind of take for granted. There are also no benefit system or NHS to help him out. Um, and apparently this guy is over 40, so he's really old even by today's standards. Um, he wouldn't have ever married because he's had no way of supporting a family. Um, as far as we know, he's never done like kind of day's work. So as a man, you could imagine that maybe his pride was a bit beaten up, not being able to do the things that men are supposed to do. Also, he couldn't walk. Now that's quite important for where he sat. So even though he was a Jew, he wasn't allowed inside the temple. Um, that's why you find him sat just outside. Now the beautiful gate, apparently was 75 feet high, which is quite high, and it was covered in brass. According to a first century historian, um, it was much more beautiful than the other gates, which were, and I quote, only covered in gold or silver. So um, apparently it was really pretty and massive. So uh, this was the gate that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. So Gentiles could come all the way up to this gate, but only the Jews could go through. So if you went through the gate, you were one of God's chosen people, which is really interesting. Think about what Jai read to us as we started the service. Walking through the beautiful gate, whether it was daily or weekly or annually, was a reminder to the Jews that they would one day walk into God's promised kingdom when God's promised king came to earth to save them. But because this guy couldn't walk, he wasn't allowed to walk through the gate. Beyond the gate was kind of meant to be a bit of a picture of heaven, a place where there'd be no sickness or infirmity or, or anything. So the crippled man would spoil the picture of what was beyond. Because he wasn't kind of pure or, or holy in that sense, he wasn't allowed to go through the gate. So Luke pictures this guy, I think quite disillusioned with life. You get the idea that, that Peter and John are walking past and he's just staring at the floor because, well, they, they you know, he's kind of going, Peter are walking past you imagine he's kind of seeing their feet and he's asking for spare change. So when he asked Peter and John, this is why they kind of stare at him. Uh, in the passage it says, Peter looked straight at him, as did John, um, which would have been a really odd sight. You know, two full-grown chaps like glaring at this man on the mat who's just looking down and they say, he says to them, like, look at us, and then he stares back. Um, seems a little bit odd. And I think there's something there of the disciples. They're not embarrassed about the people that they talk to, you know, whether they're kind of high-powered or not. Sometimes I think we can be quite shy or maybe feel a little bit embarrassed about talking to homeless people on the street, the people selling the big issue. Um, we sometimes don't want to do that. But here, Peter and John go straight up to him and talk to him like he's a completely ordinary human being, which he was. They interact with him like he's a real person. They don't particularly see a crippled man on the floor. But I think what they see is they see a man who's incapable of living out a full life that God wants him to because he can't walk. So Peter just says to him, I've got no cash. You know, the disciples are poor. Um, but what I've got is Jesus. He says, in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, God's only chosen king, get up 
and walk. And he reaches out his hand and he helps the guy up and his body just becomes strong. He supernaturally receives a sense of balance. He has strong muscles and tendons and ligaments. They're all bits that are inside us um, that he's never used. And then he starts to walk and he's never done it before. I mean, it takes the rest of us you know, a couple of years to learn to walk and then probably a couple more than that to learn to jump. And he gets up off the floor, takes a few steps, and then he starts like jumping around. He's having a great time. See, I've jumped in a sermon like Ian did a few weeks ago. I'll get uh, an extra bonus for that. Um, you know, and what happens is this doesn't just affect him, but everybody who saw him and recognized him had worship build up inside them too. He goes into the temple for the very first time with Peter and John. Finally, this crippled man feels like he belongs in his own people. At the end of the passage it says, um, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. That's the language of worship there. So they see this guy who's been lame from birth, walk in and jump in and praising God, and that builds up inside them a sense of worship too. So here's the kind of first outside in that we see in the passage. A man that was excluded from God's community because he was a cripple from birth, no fault of his own. He couldn't go into the temple to meet with God. He couldn't offer sacrifices for his sin. He couldn't experience forgiveness because of that. He, and here he goes right from the outside to right inside. It's a great picture of what God can do for us in the gospel. But we'll come to that in a few minutes. So right at the heart of this passage, um, even though it's only 10 verses long, I've seen this guy healed, which is just amazing in of itself. Right at the heart of it is Jesus. Last week we kind of looked at how the early church was totally centered and focused around Jesus. And here... We have a Jesus-centered healing. And we know that it's Jesus-centered because it's done in Jesus' name. Now, when Jesus walked on the earth, he showed people what his kingdom would be like. He did that in his teaching about it and about it. He did it in his miracles. When Jesus healed someone, he showed them that the kingdom of God uh, that would one day fully come when Jesus returns to judge the earth and renew it and redeem it. It would be a kingdom where nobody would ever be sick or broken or unwell. When he cast out demons from people, he did it to show them that his kingdom, that in his kingdom one day, there would be no oppression from evil or the devil or sin. When he fed thousands of people, he did it to show that in his kingdom, nobody would need or want anything again. When he raised the dead, he did it to show that in his kingdom, one day, there would be no death. And here in Acts, Jesus isn't physically there because he's already ascended back to heaven. But, and it's a massive but, he is there by his spirit. The disciples have received the Holy Spirit, which means that they're now inseparably and spiritually connected and united and sealed in Jesus and him in them. They were charged by Jesus to, to teach about the kingdom and bring people into it through the message of Jesus' gospel. In this healing that we 
about in Acts, there's no way at all that the man who was healed can think that it was by Peter or John's clever words or something that they did. Maybe their own religious piety or some magical powers that they, they may have conjured up from somewhere. It's because that Peter calls the man to stand in Jesus' name. When they say in Jesus' name, it's not a kind of abracadabra word. It's not the magic word that when you say it, anything that you want to happen will happen. But what it does is it puts the authority, you know, the glory and the honor of a decision over any situation into Jesus' hands. If Jesus wants to do something when we pray for it, it's up to him if he does. But if he does, he deserves all the glory, all the credit, all the honor, all the praise, all the worship, and all the thanks that we can give him. However, if Jesus decides not to do what we ask him, he deserves all the praise and all the glory and all the credit and all the thanks that we can still give him. So whatever his response to our prayers, he deserves all the worship. Even if it's not what we want, particularly, maybe more especially when it's not what we want. So let me encourage you to pray for hard things. Um, Don't use this idea to discourage fervent prayer. If you think, I'll ask Jesus and if he doesn't do it, then I'll not pray for it again. But be fervent in your prayer. Pray and keep on praying for different things. Let Jesus know what you want him to do in his world. If you want to see one of your friends saved, if you want to see one of your family healed, if you want uh, that new job, if you want the church to grow, if you want to kind of pass those exams or make new friends or whatever it is, pray hard about those different things. And I was listening to something this week, and it said, you don't need to pray, well, when you pray, you don't necessarily need to say, God, if it's your will, do X, Y, and Z. Because if it is God's will, he'll do it. And if it isn't, he won't. So it's kind of, it's a strange caveat that we sometimes put on prayers for, you know, if it is God's will, he will do it. Uh, if it isn't, he won't. So just tell God what you, what you like, are praying for and ask him that you don't need to, God, if it's your will, please do this. Just say, God, please, would you do this? It would be amazing if you could do this. However, if you don't, I will still give you all the praise and all the glory. So let's be a praying church and a, a praying people. Let's commit to praying for each other. Uh, for the gospel to have traction in the area that we live and in the world and that the church would grow and glorify God all the time. Pray for things in Jesus' name and have the faith that God can answer your prayers, whether he does or not, uh, whether he does it in the way you want or the way you didn't want. Believe with all your heart that God is immeasurably more powerful and more capable than you can possibly imagine. I want to encourage you to have a really big view of who God is and to let that view grow. Keep praying for things that you want Jesus to do. The response in the passage is just something wonderful. Um, for the crippled man, he, was, uh, he went into the temple to pray and worship God. When God moves, things happen. The response, it should grow inside all of us, is prayer and worship. It does that for the man and it does that for people around him. Luke's gospel it kind of starts and ends with the temple at Jerusalem Acts starts in the temple 
and it ends with the gospel reaching all of the known world. And today, we're still seeing the gospel reaching all the known world that we now know, which is all the world. God is on the move, and it's a move to go outside and find people. It's a move of Jesus' kingdom spreading and covering all people. The Jewish people knew in the, uh, in the Old Testament, they knew that that was what it was about. In Isaiah, there's a promise that something amazing would happen when the Messiah turned up, or when the Christ turned up. And in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6, it says, talking of the Messiah, when the Messiah turns up on the earth, the lame, uh, then shall a lame man leap like a deer. For those of them there saw this lame man jumping around praising God in the temple courts, you can just imagine what they might be thinking. In Jesus' life, we know the story of Jesus healing the man who came through the roof um, from the mat. He couldn't walk, and his friends uh, wanted him to be healed. Jesus healed the guy. So the Messiah turned up and the lame walked. Here we see the same Messiah at work because when his disciples outside the temple asked for something in the power of Jesus' name, the power of the Messiah brings the man to help. The lame leap like the deer. Okay. So this is what I wanted to kind of think about for a few minutes. This idea of an outside-in gospel. We use the word gospel an awful lot in this church. You know, we love the gospel, we love to preach the gospel, we love to pray from the gospel. We love the gospel that much that we've named our midweek groups after it, so they're called gospel communities, um, because we want to be focused around the gospel. And I want to try and show you now why I think the gospel is an outside-in thing. It's not just a set of principles or rules, or, or, or not even just about me having my sins forgiven, but what it is, is a story where Jesus brings the outsiders in. So this is how I see it, and I've kind of thought about this all week. And the gospel has to start in one place, and it starts in the community of who God is. So God is a perfect, loving family of three, the Trinity, and he's united. He's one in three persons. We continually love each other and enjoy each other forever. God himself is a community. And it's out of that loving community that flows the love that led God to create the whole world and to the creation of man. A man is made relational because God is relational. He's made in perfect relationship with God and enjoying him. However, we know the, the tragic story of, of Genesis, don't we? We know the tragic story that Adam chose to reject God's loving and perfect rule over him. And Adam set himself up as the king of his own world. Once Adam had rejected God, God rejected Adam. And this led to, to pain and suffering and to death. And all things, um, all the things that God's loving presence kept away. The Bible says that there are basically two families. Um, and I'm not saying that there are you know, there are only two families of Smiths and the Jones, um, and, and that's it. However, the Jones family is quite large and could probably encompass most of it. Um, the Bible says there are two families. The family of Adam, the family that we're all born into because you are human beings. We're all descended from Adam. 
the kiss of that, we're all born into the same rejection and rebellion against God as Adam was. So that's one family. And the other family is the family of God's son, Jesus. That we can be reborn into. We've all substituted God's good rule for our rebellious rule because we're born in Adam. Because we choose to live without God, God rejects us from his perfect eternity, living forever uh, under his rule and enjoying him forever, being free from pain and suffering and death forever and ever. That's what we miss out on when we choose our own kind of sin-spoiled um, kingdom, a destiny of our own making. We deserve the eternal punishment that the Bible describes as hell outside of God's loving presence, experiencing his wrath and his hatred of sin forever. However, it's into this awful state of our rebellion and our rejection of God that Jesus comes from heaven to earth. He goes outside the perfection of heaven. He leaves a place of perfect community with the Father and the Spirit and he comes to earth. Jesus lives the life that Adam should have lived. The life of perfect obedience to God his Father. And Jesus dies the death that Adam deserves. The death of separation from God. Jesus is punished in the place of the members of Adam's family. Jesus is taken outside the city and he's tortured and he's nailed to a cross so that people in Adam's family, people like you and me, don't have to suffer the eternal separation from God that we deserve. Jesus' body was placed in a tomb, but it didn't stay dead. God brought him back to life because God was satisfied with, the, with his sacrifice. Jesus came out of the grave, and he came out of the grave restored and renewed. And he ascended into heaven a bit later, and he sits at the right hand of the Father from then until now. And no one can take Jesus from where he is. He deserves to be in heaven with God. And then, at Pentecost, we looked at a few weeks ago, Jesus drops a massive bombshell on the earth as he releases his spirit into the world. As the spirit arrives, things change. So God sends his spirit into the world, into the lives of believers. And as people receive the Holy Spirit, they are connected to Jesus in a way that can never be broken. This means that if you sat here today are a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, you are now right now, united with Jesus in a real spiritual way that means that you're connected to Jesus' body who has stood before God the Father. Effectively, you have the same access to God that Jesus does. We're, we're like we're stood in heaven before God because that's where Jesus is and we're connected to him by his spirit. However, if you're not a Christian, you're still in Adam's family family that's headed for separation from all God's goodness and love and mercy and grace to a place that the Bible describes as hell. If you're a Christian and, and today and living in this sin-spoiled earth, you know, where there are people who are lame from birth, there's separation from God, the encouragement that the Bible gives is that this is the nearest that we're ever going to get to hell. However, if you're not a Christian, living in a sin-spoiled earth, in which there's the opportunity to meet Jesus, to have your sins forgiven, and be adopted into his family, then this is the nearest that you're going to get to heaven, unless you change families. And if that's what you want to do, 
you do it by rejecting your own rebellion against God and your own rule in your own life. You turn from that life of self-centeredness and turn to Jesus and ask him to take up residency in your life as your king. And by his spirit, that's what he will do. Instead of being separated from God, Jesus will separate you from your sin and he will bring you into God's presence. You'll go from the outside of sin and death and hell and rejection and rebellion to the inside. Not only of freedom to live a full life, but freedom from death and a future with Jesus forever. Acceptance and certainty about your future. But you'll be brought further inside than that because by the Spirit, you're united to Jesus. You're brought right to the heart of who God is. You're brought into the community of the Trinity. When God goes outside to rescue people, he goes further than anyone else possibly can. When he returns to bring people back inside, he brings them further inside than we can possibly imagine. The question is, even though that's amazing, what do we then go and do about it? Firstly, like the people in Acts, hopefully that's a stir up inside us a desire to worship God because of what he has done. But secondly, there's a couple of ideas that we can do in response to it. Our response to what Jesus has done is this. We respond firstly by faith. We have our eyes opened to the truth of the gospel. By believing it, we're brought right into the throne room of God because that is where Jesus is. And if you're not a Christian here today, let me tell you that you can take that trip of a life side from outside to inside by faith. If you are a Christian here uh, and you want to know what to do in response to this story and the truth of the gospel, think about these things. And I've got three because that is an appropriate number. The first one is I want to encourage you to pray for the sick. Peter and John believe in a risen ascended Jesus still being involved in his world now if, if you're sick if your friends are ill pray for them Jesus is still risen and ascended and he's still in the business of seeing his kingdom grow I want to encourage you to pray for those people who are sick and to keep on praying for them so that's the first one pray for the sick two take the message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus to outsiders. Now, this is the greatest thing that the world has ever known. God became a man so that you could meet him and know him and love him and enjoy him forever. I think we all probably have friends that don't know that. I want to encourage you to be praying for them. Pray that God would help you to share Jesus with each of them. Take the message of the gospel of Jesus to the outsiders. Do that on your own and do it as part of the church's mission too. Enjoy sharing the gospel with your own friends. I'd encourage you to get involved in the mission that we're doing together as a church this year. Be praying for the mission of the church as well. Be praying for your friends to come along. Pray that God will be at work here saving people and bringing them to himself. So that's two. So one, pray for the sick. Two, take the message of the gospel out. And three, and this is probably the most difficult one of all. Uh, it's really hard to teach yourself to do this. 
um, I want to encourage you to try this, which is learn to gospel your own heart. I will explain what that means and not just leave that there. That's a really weird phrase. But by that, I mean tell yourself the truth of the gospel. So if you find yourself feeling unloved or rejected or hurt, tell yourself and kind of teach yourself that in the gospel, those things aren't true. If you're a Christian, if you're part of Jesus' family, you're more loved and you're more accepted and you're more comforted than you can possibly imagine. Why? Because Jesus has shown you what you mean to him because of his life, death, resurrection and ascension and the gift of his spirit. If you find yourself feeling distant from God, tell yourself that it's actually not true. Because by the truth of the gospel, you enter into the heart of the Trinity. You may feel like it, but the truth, the objective truth, is actually you are connected to Jesus. If you find yourself then trying to be the saviour of other people, trying to make their life perfect, and beating yourself up because you can't, tell yourself that what you and what they really need is the truth of the gospel, that Jesus is the only saviour. You can't replace him, and you and they need him. So I want to encourage you to learn to gospel your own heart, and other people too. Share with other people the truth of the gospel when you see them. Pray to the only God who is able, and be on mission with Jesus and his church, sharing the gospel of Jesus uh, with your friends. That's probably enough for you to think about. So I'll pray, and then we'll sing together. Father, we thank you for the truth of the good news of Jesus. Father, I thank you that Jesus came uh, right outside to bring people like us right to the heart of who you are. Father, I thank you that by your spirit we can be connected to Jesus. Father, I thank you that by Jesus' death and resurrection our sins are dealt with. By his ascension and the pouring out of his spirit we're united to him and brought into the throne room of God. Father, I thank you that you are good and holy and righteous. And Father, I thank you that you delight to save people like us who were sinful. And Father, I thank you that um, that you're still doing that today. Father, I pray that you would encourage us to understand the truth of the gospel into our own situations, into our own lives, into our own hearts. Father, that we would believe every day that Jesus is who he said he is and that you love us in the way that you have shown and the way that you have told us. And Father, I pray that you would help us to, to share that message with ourselves, with our church family and with the wider world that don't yet know you. Father, I pray that you would um, grow inside all of us a sense of desire to know you better and to see your kingdom grow on this earth as more people meet Jesus. Amen.